City of Lights, City of Love. But this beautiful and historic city also harbors a dark side. So turn down the lights, turn up the volume, and join me, Autumn Rebus, in a darkly lit place while I tell you all about the history and significance of the Paris Catacombs. I've had the good fortune to visit Paris on more than a few occasions, and twice I took the time to visit the catacombs. They are located 20 meters beneath the city streets, and there exists a true labyrinth of tunnels that extend to cover around 200 miles. The official tour will take you through only about one and a half kilometers. The catacombs are eerily romantic, with the bones of more than six million Parisians stacked neatly and at times in painstakingly beautiful designs like hearts and crosses made of skulls or uniquely patterned rows of femurs. But to truly understand the need for moving these millions and millions of bones from the city cemeteries down into the catacombs, we need to understand the history of burial practices in Paris. The first Christian burial grounds in Paris and what would become known as the Cemetery of the Innocents or Les Innocents dates back to at least the 12th century. It was located east of where the Louvre Museum stands today in the Lyon district. The distance would have been equivalent to about a 10 minute walk from the Louvre to Lyon. Of course, back then, the Louvre had only recently been constructed and was originally built as a fortress to provide defensive towers for protecting the city from invaders. In fact, the marketplace of Lyon continued to exist until just about 50 years ago when it was finally demolished in 1971 and replaced by a modern shopping center which stands there today. The volume and demand for burials had grown exponentially with the spread of Christianity at this time and Les Innocents eventually evolved into the ritual use of mass graves with pits that would hold an estimated 1,500 bodies each. Once a pit was full, it was covered, and the next pit would be dug or emptied. The number of dead became so great and the cemetery so overpopulated that eventually charnairs or charnel houses were built to house the bones of the decomposed so that the pits could be reused. There was always at least one pit standing open, waiting to be filled, to be received by the recent dead. It was then covered in earth and the next pit would be cleared of its current occupants to make room for the newly deceased. The charnel houses were built into the walls of the cemetery and were arched with open air spaces in the top where stacks and stacks of bones would have been a commonplace site for any passers-by or patrons of that surrounding marketplace. One particularly strange and macabre legend dates back to May of 1590 when Paris was under siege. 
You see, Henry IV and his armies were trying to take the city. Henry was heir to the throne, but he was also a Protestant, and France at this time was in the midst of a civil war, fueled by religious conflicts between Catholics and Protestants. In fact, Henry had only escaped the St. Bartholomew Massacre in 1572 by vowing to convert to Catholicism, and with the help of his new bride, and devout Catholic, Margaret of Valois. She was daughter of Henry II and the very powerful and influential Catherine de' Medici. The massacre occurred just six days prior to his wedding and was rumored to be orchestrated in part by his future mother-in-law, Catherine de' Medici. In the city of Paris, 3,000 Protestants would be killed in the massacre and an estimated 70,000 Protestants would be killed across the country of France. Paris was home of the Holy League, also known as the Catholic League, a powerful group of Catholic aristocrats, and they strongly opposed Henry's claim to the throne. By May 7th of 1590, Henry's armies had successfully surrounded the city, Paris at the time being a walled city. He had established blockades and destroyed the windmills, which prevented any food or supplies from reaching inside the city. By mid-June, the threat of starvation was becoming far too real for the estimated 200 to 220,000 Parisian residents, and an assembly was called to address the problem. It is said that at this assembly, Someone suggested that the bones of the dead stored in the charnel houses be ground into flour, baked into bread for the poorest of the residents, for those who had the greatest risk for starvation and didn't have any means for obtaining grain. And it's said that as insane as this proposal sounds, no one at that assembly spoke to oppose the idea. And by August, that bone flour bread was made available to the starving citizens. This bizarre experiment did not last long, however. Apparently, everyone who consumed the bread made of bone flour died shortly thereafter. And by the time the siege ended, 25% of the population would have perished from starvation. The wars of religion would officially come to an end in April of 1598, and Henry did eventually win the throne and the hearts of the French people. He would go on to be remembered in history books as Good King Henry, while at the same time he was also a renowned adulterer and womanizer, which is somewhat unbelievable because multiple sources also document he was said to have never bathed and smelled like a goat. Apparently, he was so charming that his 56 alleged mistresses were able to disregard his foul scent. That or maybe goats smelled better in the 18th century. I can't help but picture a Calvin Klein goat colonnade. In any case, Henry would go on to do great things for the city of Paris and the French people, earning him the reputation 
of one of the most beloved monarchs in French history. It would be Henry IV who would be credited with building Pont Neuf, which today is the oldest standing bridge spanning the River Seine in Paris. Ironically, the name literally translates as New Bridge. Pont Neuf connects the western edge of Ile de la Cité to the right bank of the Seine and is one of the most photographed bridges in Paris. It is a beautiful stone structure, stone being used instead of wood to make the bridge fireproof and more enduring. The design was built with seven arches and decorated with 381 somewhat grotesque faces. There is a statue of Henry IV on horseback in the middle of Pont Neuf, which stands there today. And while the original was destroyed during the French Revolution, a replica was crafted in the early 19th century and it stands in its place. On a tour of the haunted side of Paris that I took a few years back, the guide told a story about the origin of the faces on the bridge of Pont Neuf. And while I haven't been able to find corroborating facts in my research, it was still a good story, so I thought I would share. It was said that when the king commissioned the new bridge to be built, that the opinions of the Paris aristocracy of the time thought it was a really stupid idea and a waste of money to build yet another bridge across the Seine. In response, the king threw a grand gala and one night invited all of those frenemies who had voiced opposition to the bridge. And while the wine flowed, it was likely perceived as an olive branch from the king. But the king had other intentions. He hired an artist to capture moments from this memorable soiree. And as the story goes, as the guests became increasingly more intoxicated, so did their facial expressions, becoming more and more animated. And by the end of the night, the king's artist had been able to capture the most amusing looks from the men who had mocked the king's new bridge. The king got the last laugh when the bridge was decorated with the ugliest of those facial expressions captured by his artist from that night. Unfortunately for good King Henry, he would meet his own demise a few years later and be assassinated by a religious Catholic zealot. He was stabbed in the throat on the 14th of May, 1610 when his carriage was stopped on the street due to increased traffic caused by the coronation of his new queen the day before. Henry's carriage was about one block south of Les Innocents Cemetery. If you travel there today, you will find a plaque built right into the street which commemorates the assassinated king and marks the location where he took his last breaths. The pits of Les Innocents were extremely unorganized and the cycles of reusing mass burial pits had continued for centuries. 
which led to unfathomable sanitary conditions, putrid smells, and fear of disease. But at the time, the cemetery was a huge moneymaker for the church. And with a source of income that great, those conditions were basically just overlooked. As time went by, the ground became more and more saturated with the remains of decaying human flesh. In an effort to increase the capacity of the mass burial pits, the grave diggers had started dismembering the bodies, burying only the torso and burning the extremities, stacking the bones in the charnel houses. As the grounds became increasingly saturated with rotting human remains, the complaints amongst the merchants and marketplace visitors grew louder and louder and more frequent until finally in 1763, King Louis XV ordered an investigation. King Louis's examiners recorded stories of merchants whose wine turned to vinegar within days, milk that would curdle within hours, and meat that would rot before your eyes. The king ordered all burials in the city to be banned. But the church at the time held a lot of power and basically ignored the crown's order to cease burials. They did, however, offer to raise burial fees. But it wouldn't be until May 30th of 1780 that would bring about a horrific circumstance that would be enough to close Liz Innocence for good. It had been an unusually rainy spring in 1780 and the ground was saturated. When the rain started again on the 30th of May, it was too much and one of the walls surrounding the cemetery gave way and with it, hundreds of corpses in varying stages of decay spilled into the city streets and were washed into those surrounding neighborhoods. These events were the final justification needed for the church to back down and allow the crown to take necessary actions to eliminate further burials within the city. All cemeteries in Paris were closed and burials within the city walls were banned. Just six years prior to this grotesque event, in September of 1774, a major collapse occurred in the limestone quarries beneath the city streets. These quarries spanned hundreds of miles, and within the next few years, more of these sinkholes would open up, swallowing the unsuspecting homes and businesses above the ground. The newly crowned Louis XVI commissioned the quarries to be mapped out inspected and reinforced to prevent further disasters. With these quarries top of mind to the crown when Les Innocents flooded, it should be no surprise that when the need arose to exhume and find a new home 
for the inhabitants of the cemetery and many of the other cemeteries across the city that those abandoned quarries offered an ideal solution. In April of 1786, the quarries were ready to begin receiving the bones from Le Zenissant Cemetery. The ossuary, which would become the catacombs, had been reinforced, consecrated, and blessed. The painstaking task of transferring the bones could now begin. It would take two years to move all the bones from Les Innocents. The dry bones were easier, but bones that still had rotting flesh attached first had to be burned and cleaned to prepare them for their final destination. The transfer would be taken place at night, always at night. The bones would be stacked into carts and draped over with a black veil. The journey from the cemetery across town to the quarry would always include a Christian escort and be surrounded by chanting priests. The bones were deposited, if you will, into the quarries by way of an old well that opened into the quarries five stories below. Once the transfer of all the bones from Les Innocents was complete in 1787, the transfer of the bones from the 30 to 40 other cemeteries within the city could begin. The final bones would be moved into the catacombs in 1859, and in all would account for about 6 million Parisians. Today, if you were to venture to the historic site where Les Innocents Cemetery once stood, you will find no real trace of what was once the largest and oldest cemetery in Paris. But there is a beautiful 16th century fountain that now stands there as a monument to the past. Originally, the bones were tossed into the quarry in complete disarray and an organized mess. And it wouldn't be until 1810 when Napoleon authorized the director of the Paris Mine Inspection Service to organize the bones. They were then placed in stacked arrangements you see today. And the romanticized shapes of neatly arranging the bones and skulls in heart shapes, for example, would come into fashion. You can visit the catacombs today, as I mentioned in the beginning of the story. I've been myself. Be ready to wait in line. This last summer when we were there, we waited in line for a little over two hours. And the tour itself takes about 45 minutes to complete. There are also tour companies that do promise skip the line access. And on our first visit, I booked one of those guided tours. We still waited for probably about 45 minutes and the tour guide was very well informed and shared many interesting stories and facts throughout the tour. 
On the downside, what I didn't like was the fact that we had paid for this small group tour, but the tour guide didn't provide microphones or headsets for us to hear him. So if you couldn't stay close enough to the guide, and some of those passageways are very narrow and small, it did get difficult to hear what he was saying. And he also made no attempt to keep outsiders from listening in and basically joining this tour for free, which we had paid for in advance. Being down in the catacombs is creepy to say the least. It's dark and cold, and then there's all those bones. But that hasn't stopped the citizens of Paris from sneaking down to explore. In fact, the abandoned quarries beneath the city, spanning 200 miles of interconnecting tunnels, while illegal, and I by no means endorse trying it, those tunnels can be accessed fairly easily through man covers scattered throughout the city, through metro lines and sewers. Cataphiles, as they are called, routinely and illegally explore the catacombs, throwing parties, raves, even hosting movie screenings. In fact, in 2004, police discovered a full-blown cinema, complete with bar and seating for 30 people. There are several secret societies that host these subculture meetups. Keep in mind, this is a very dangerous hobby. The limestone tunnels could cave in at any moment, and one could easily be lost in the labyrinth of mazes. Exits could become blocked, and also, the tunnels often flood. The catacombs have long been a source of curiosity, and exploring them is not a new obsession. Charles X, who would briefly serve as King of France in the 19th century, is said to have held extravagant and wild parties. Napoleon allegedly explored the tunnels with his son, and in 1897, a group of musicians held a full-blown concert for an audience of 100 people. The tunnels were also used as hideouts by the French resistance in World War II when Paris was occupied by Nazi Germany. Ironically, the German Nazis had also used the catacombs and even built a bunker underground. As recently as 2017, two teenagers were reportedly missing in the Paris underground and spent three days lost in the cold, dark, damp tunnels. Traumatized and horrified, they were found by a team of rescue dogs and treated for hypothermia. I can only imagine how terrifying of an experience that would be lost, cold, hungry, surrounded by darkness for days without knowing if or when it would ever end and every moment losing more hope that you would survive to see daylight once again.
Thank you for joining me, Autumn Rivas, in a darkly lit place. This is a new bi-weekly podcast that I have started in order to share some of the origins and backstories focused primarily on places where I've traveled. I'm very passionate about travel and history and a huge horror fan. I've always been more interested in the paranormal than the normal. I'm always looking for the next good scary movie and I've exhausted Netflix's horror collection. And while my husband is the more experienced photographer, I have posted a portfolio of photos taken by both him and myself of the places featured in the podcast stories I share. So please check out the website for more photos, uh, photos of the catacombs of Pontneuf faces. And of course, if you'd like to learn more information about the podcast or myself, the web address is adarklylitplace.com. So check that out and I will meet you back here in two weeks. Thank you for listening.